I want to push the innovation to the corporations because they have the information and we're relying on them to comply with government rules to get information to the market. We are going to charge hedge funds and high-speed traders who are the ones who actually use corporate information. We're going to charge them a price, a positive price for that information. This is Briefly, a production of the University of Chicago Law Review. Today, we'll discuss the corporate disclosures required by the SEC and an alternative method for handling these disclosures, the creation of a market to buy and sell corporate data. I'm Jeremy Rosansky. And I'm Megan Kogeshal. We're online editors of the University of Chicago Law Review. Today's podcast features separate interviews with Todd Henderson, the Michael J. Marcus Professor of Law at the University of Chicago Law School, and Donald Langvort, the Thomas Aquinas Reynolds Professor of Law at Georgetown University Law Center. For a quick background on the history of laws regarding corporate disclosures, let's hear from Professor Henderson. Our securities laws are come from the Great Depression. Uh, they were passed in the wake of the stock market crash of 1929. And the view at the time was that excessive speculation in securities caused the crash then led to the Great Depression. So in 1933, Congress, in the midst of the depression that would not go away, thought, we've got to do something. And one of the strong conclusions of a set of hearings in Congress called the PCORA hearings was that companies were not disclosing enough information to shareholders, Mm -hmm. that people were betting their retirement fortunes on less than the optimal amount of information. And if shareholders could team up with each other to bargain for more information, they would do so. So the New Deal Congress's view was, well, we can do that. We can solve this collective action problem. We'll compel companies to disclose according to a government recipe. Why would companies not disclose information to investors? So anybody selling anything has positive incentives to disclose information. If I tell you I'm going to sell you something and and you ask me, well, what is it? And I go, well, it's a secret. You're not going to pay me very much for it. It's like a lottery ticket. So there are incentives for voluntary disclosure. And the question the 33 Congress was addressing was whether or not those voluntary incentives were sufficient to result in the socially optimal amount of disclosure. And what types of information do companies have to disclose? It's quite a voluminous list. Just the list of things that companies have to disclose runs to more than 100 pages in the Code of Federal Regulations. Companies must disclose information that may surprise those unfamiliar with capital markets. So... When Facebook went public, for instance, their disclosures ran to more than 300 pages. Lots of things that you would expect. How much money did we make? How much did it cost us to make that? All of our uh, financial information and such. But also things like, where did our CEO go to college? That he dropped out of Harvard. Um, Who our board of directors are? How old they are? They make it quarterly reports and annual reports, and then uh, what are called current reports, any significant business activity, they have to disclose that within four days on something called Form 8K. According to Professor Henderson, the costs of the current disclosure system are largely unknown. What's fascinating to me is no one has ever tried to estimate how much this disclosure system costs. It runs into the tens of billions of dollars, is, is a guess. So even if you believe that there are suboptimal disclosures being made and that mandatory disclosure is a remedy that helps ameliorate that problem, we would want to weigh the benefit of that system up against the costs of that system. And no one has any idea what those costs are. As to be expected, companies are extremely careful about the disclosures they are required to make. 
Professor Henderson believes this results in companies releasing an inefficient amount of disclosures. This is a minimum amount of information you must disclose. And then, of course, you're free to disclose more than that if you'd like to. Companies do not readily disclose more than the bare minimum. And the reason for that, and something we can talk about, is the threat of securities fraud suits is so severe, the penalties are so significant for any kind of misleading statement, that good, well-advised firms don't disclose more than they must at a bare minimum. So the floor becomes a ceiling. So there could be both overproduction of information and then underproduction of information. While Professor Langvoort agrees that the current disclosure system possibly results in companies disclosing too much or too little information about themselves, the question is, absent current regulations, what would companies choose to disclose? That's one of the, the biggest academic questions in, in all of securities law research. Uh, we know that there was lots of uh, disclosure before 1934. So uh, if you want to answer the question, would there be disclosure, um, certainly yes. Would it be socially optimal? Well, that's where the fights in securities regulation start. My sense, and there have been a number of uh, reviews of the literature recently in, in financial economics, most people come on the side of, yeah, we get disclosure, but not social opt socially optimal, partly because of externalities. The, the benefits and the costs aren't internalized by, uh, by companies, and therefore you can't expect that they deliver uh, the right kind of information or the right amount. Secondly, agency costs. Uh, no doubt, if you're the CEO or CFO of a company, uh, you'd much rather that good news be revealed than bad news. The temptation to manipulate is great. On the other hand, certainly a company that gets a reputation for not being candid uh, will lose the support of key marketplace actors, big institutional investors. So that's the counterbalance to, to the concerns. I don't think, however you come out on that question of how close or far away are we from the optimal, I don't think the SEC has done a terribly good job at crafting disclosure regulation. And certainly part of the motivation of the Henderson and Haberly project begins not with what would happen if we started from scratch, but rather how do we get something better than the mess we now have. New laws from Congress and new regulations from the SEC have resulted in more complex disclosure requirements. There's all sorts of other things that have been added, uh, and the things that have been added have been added for uh, political reasons. So over the years, the disclosure obligations of Regulation SK have ballooned enormously. There were about 10,000 words in the 1990s. It's 180,000 words now, Regulation SK. And Congress has a penchant for adding to disclosure because who, who could be against more disclosure? After all, the costs are unknown and diffuse in any event. And everybody likes transparency. And Congress, when faced with some kind of financial crisis, as they are repeatedly, needs to do something. During Dodd-Frank, Congress required companies to make disclosures about the use of conflict minerals. Uh, conflict minerals, if you saw the movie with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Blood Diamond, these are Diamonds or other minerals that are uh, produced in conflicts, they're sold, they're used to pay, you know, child soldiers or something like that. It was a problem, Congress thought, 
uh, and they required companies to search their supply chain for any use of blood diamonds and then make a report about it. Uh, some economists did an estimate and said this would cost about 700 million American companies $700 million a year. Professor Langvort is not opposed to disclosures in principle. I find it troubling when people just categorically say uh, we impose these requirements and implicitly assume, and they're stupid, uh, or they're just political pandering. You know, disclosure, transparency, uh, accountability in society is not necessarily a bad thing and not necessarily something uh, that you should say is outside the purview or jurisdiction of the SEC. Congress has a right to impose thing, uh, impose disclosure obligations like that, and we can all say perhaps that blood diamonds uh, is an example of an experiment that may not be cost justified. Uh, but that doesn't make all social disclosure non-cost justified. It just illustrates that sometimes the SEC doesn't get things, or in this case Congress, uh, doesn't get things right. Yeah, just to give an example, and there's a very interesting paper out of the, the Booth School at Chicago, on not blood diamonds, but the thing that is often named at the same time, which is mind safety, another Dodd-Frank Act uh, social disclosure experiment that Congress mandated on all uh, all resource extraction public companies, much higher pub, uh, information about their uh, their mind safety records, and yeah, you know, certainly from an investor's standpoint, you can wonder exactly how much of a payoff and how much you would pay uh, for this information. And I can imagine an investor saying, eh, um, there are other places I can find safety-related information. On the other hand, the research shows that after this was put into effect, the rate of deaths and serious injuries at mines uh, went down in a way causally, probably causally attributable to, to the regulation. It's clear that these regulations, when controlled by Congress and the SEC, can be altered and shaped by politics. This could be good or bad, but Professor Henderson wants to replace the current disclosure system with one driven by markets. So that general problem uh, led my co-author Kevin Haberly from William & Mary and I to propose that companies be able to sell their corporate information. We observed a bureaucrat's guess at the demand for something, and being a good Chicagoan, I thought... Well, how do we normally resolve that problem? Whether it's breakfast cereal or computer chips, com uh, cars, airplanes, whatever it is, and the answer is a market. We are going to charge hedge funds and high-speed traders who are the ones who actually use corporate information. We're going to charge them a price, a positive price for that information. Think of it this way. Currently, all shareholders of Facebook pay the many, many millions of dollars it costs Facebook to produce corporate information. But most shareholders of Facebook have no use for that information. They're just invested in Facebook because they're invested in the market and they're never going to buy or sell based on changes of information in Facebook. The hedge funds, a very small part of the market, who are going to buy and sell and arbitrage information about Facebook, they get that money, they get that disclosure basically for free. They have a use for it that they're not paying for. And so this is a kind of tax on them, a tax on the high-speed traders and hedge funds uh, and it's a, therefore a wealth transfer away from them and to average shareholders, pensioners, retired teachers, retired steelworkers, and so forth. 
The market proposed by Professor Henderson allows professional traders to buy early access to the mandated disclosures, but they would only have access to the information for a small amount of time before it is released to the general public. The way the market works is designed to remedy this potential unfairness by basically saying, if a company is going to disclose information pursuant to the SEC's mandatory disclosure regime, say at noon, they're going to release a piece of information, that they would sell early access to that information, say a few minutes early. So the disclosure is going to come at noon. At 11.58, they will disclose the information to people who are willing to pay the price, whatever the market price is for that information. According to Professor Langvoort, the advantages gained from the early release of information would be similar to those gained by high-frequency traders with powerful computers and fast internet connections. We are now at a point in the automation of stock trading that there is no equal access currently, uh, and therefore what would be lost to the average investor by a proposal like this would be relatively trivial. Certainly high-frequency trading, fundamental-driven, not order-driven, high-frequency trading uh, allows the capturing of news feeds within fractions of seconds, far before even a day trader, somebody staring at, at a computer screen, is going to be able to process anything scrolling across the bottom of the screen. Um, so you know, we already have a system that because of technology is tiered in terms of how quickly somebody can respond to news. This new market for early access to information would cater to professional traders. But Professor Henderson believes everyday traders would not be adversely affected. Importantly, this market, this early access market, would be non-discriminatory. So anybody could buy if you were willing to pay the market price. You couldn't just offer it to your friends or your favorite stock market analysts or your buddy at the hedge fund. The second key point uh, would be that it would be transparent. So the company would announce, we are going to disclose at noon and we're going to sell this early at 11.58. So everybody would know, all the investors in the market would know the existence of the market, the opportunity to buy in it. And if they didn't buy in it, they could take precautions uh, accordingly. They, If you know that for those two minutes, you're not going to possess the information, then you're going to be trading at a significant disadvantage. And so instead of planning a trade during those two minutes, you would withdraw from the market. The idea that the pros who would pay for the information, professional investors, hedge fund, high-speed traders, they would buy the information, fight with each other during those two minutes. And then after the price had moved to reflect the new information, regular investors like me and you could re-enter the market more safely. Professor Langvoort has a different concern about the proposal's impact on everyday investors, and it has everything to do with politics. If I were at, on Capitol Hill begging for resources the way the SEC has to do, uh, I would not want to be in a position of having to defend the optics of the sale of information access to the privileged. I get that. The SEC has to compete for resources. It does so by waving the banner of Mr. Ms. 401k, allowing something of a level playing field in the securities markets. So it would make me very nervous uh, if I had to answer that question politically. 
but it's one of many places. Insider trading law is another uh, where there's just a disconnect between the economics and the politics of the issue. There is a risk that during the early access period, ordinary investors will buy a stock when expert investors know that stock is overpriced. What would you have to do to uh, identify for everyone in the world periods of time when there's going to be a severe adverse selection problem in the marketplace? That is to say, there are going to be insiders there. You're not one of them. Stay away. And... That's a communications issue. Uh, you can improve the odds of that working by certainly instructing broker-dealer firms, which come in all sorts of flavors, to make sure that orders are in the face of such warnings, um, to regularize so that there are certain periods of time in the day or, or month when these things are happening. Uh, so you can warn people of adverse selection in ways that I think are perfectly fair. And to, to the extent that orders are rooted through broker firms, as, as they still certainly are, you can enlist the broker-dealers as gatekeepers with respect to market orders that uh, are, are truly ill-advised. Should we be concerned for the ordinary investor if the SEC or Congress implements the early access system? Okay, so uh, I'm going to say yes, that it would make it uh, more costly or more difficult for average investors. And then I want to say that's actually a good thing. Any individual investor, that is, if you are not a professional investor, any individual investor who buys and sells individual stocks based on purported changes in information about those individual stocks is extra, is entered into a money-losing transaction. You are as sure to lose money on that transaction as you are when you go to Vegas. Sometimes you'll win. But on average, the casino is going to take 97 cents or 98 cents on the dollar of every dollar you bet, as sure as the sun is going to come up. So average investors should not be investing in individual corporate information. Everybody in finance knows this. So the stock exchange would have two separate markets. There's the market for firms that are trading on changes in corporate information. And those people are just trying to identify mispriced securities and arbitraging information so that those prices adjust to their fundamental value. And that's a very important public service. And we pay them for that by giving them the price difference on that arbitrage. And then there's a bunch of other people who are just investing for the long-term increases in stock prices, the historical average equity increases over, uh, over time. Those are separate markets. Professor Henderson believes this early access period would also provide the SEC and Congress valuable insight as to which mandated disclosures are actually valuable to investors. So this system would give us a good sense of what shareholders who are actually using corporate information want. So if a company goes out and tries to sell conflict mineral findings or pay ratios during the pros only period, and they find out that the price that people are willing to pay for that is zero, that is valuable information for the SEC. Now, the SEC may decide, hey, we still want people to disclose this. Even if, even if shareholders are unwilling to pay for it, there's a public interest served by having this information disseminated and this is the best way to do it. That's fine. Uh, nothing about our proposal requires getting rid of Regulation SK or all of these, what I believe are bogus disclosure requirements because the existing disclosure obligations would stay. So we're not, we're not changing that. We're just saying that 
you're allowed to sell them early. And I think it would be interesting to see what prices people are willing to pay for things and that that price should inform the SEC and Congress's judgments about whether we should continue to require companies to disclose those. But we, we want to be more modest and not take on that gigantic uh, problem and just say, whatever it is, even if there's a zero price, you'd still have to disclose it. Uh, let, we'll fight that another day. Professor Langvoort recommends considering the economic implications of changing the disclosure system. I think their idea, their intuition is a good one uh, and very much worth um, thinking clearly about. Not totally convinced that if we put it into play, uh, put it into effect, we would get remarkably larger amounts of information or remarkably different qualities of information. Given that agency costs and externalities are the two market failures that justify securities regulation, corporate disclosure regulation in the first place, you've got to test any proposal by reference to, well, what temptations does it give to management to act selfishly? Um, To what extent does the bargain that is contemplated exclude certain actors who feel both the benefits and the costs uh, of disclosure. Yeah, I, I think Haberly and Henderson are very careful to say, we want controlled experimentation. We're not saying just go ahead and sell your information to anybody at any price you fetch. Uh, I think that would be dangerous. However, Professor Langbort sees potential in creating a market for early disclosures. There are a lot of good things that no doubt would come from giving companies more discretion over what's disclosed to whom and, crucially, at what price, and thus to give the tiered options for allowing companies to to recover some of the rather extraordinarily large costs they spend on on the disclosure process. Um, So no doubt, you know, it's it's Economics 101 to say if you can start making money by your disclosures and the market tests how much it's willing to pay by reference to the quality of those disclosures, we'll get more disclosure and we'll get better quality disclosure. And I don't think there's anything terribly controversial about that. It's hard to see how things could get much worse compared to the status quo from such a proposal. This has been Briefly, a production of the University of Chicago Law Review. Special thanks to Tom Garvey and the V85 Online Group. Follow us on Twitter at UshiElRev. Visit us on the web at lawreview.uchicago.edu. You can find more episodes of Briefly on Apple Podcasts and soundcloud.com slash UshiElRev.